The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz. This is the Pet Buzz. Freshly collected with news, celebrity pet gossip, and the latest pet trends. The Pet Buzz gives you the latest 411 on everything pet related. Everything pet related. Hosted by pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. And here's the Dynamic Pet Duo. So, happy holidays. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio. I don't know about you, but I am feeling the holiday pressure. It isn't. It's just Thanksgiving. And so many people have their houses decorated on the outside. I wonder what it's like on the inside. And then, But in our house, we have to plan for pet-themed holidays. So in the upcoming weeks, we're going to tackle topics like safe holiday plants. I mean, pet-themed trees, pet-safe holiday decorating, best pet themed presents, ugly holiday sweaters, tips for groomers, dog walkers and pet sitters and more. I'm just exhausted thinking about it, but I love Christmas. I know you do too, Dr. Fleck. And of course, then there's Hanukkah for me, but you know, it's just so much. So why should we exhaust ourselves with this endless list? I think it's a great idea to kick off with the weekly countdown, right? Talk about intensity. I heard today that 27% of all the households are already putting out lawn decorations for the holidays. I'm telling you, it's, I mean, you are so busy working. It is all over town. I just saw a whole theme, 10 units of those big puffy blow up things. It freaked me out. There's just so much going on. But anyway, let's kick off the show with the weekly countdown. Well, in segment four, Dr. Fleck and I are talking about winter pet tips for dogs and cats. Three in seg three, Gregor Larson, director Paleogenomics and Bioarchaeology Research Network School of Archaeology at Oxford University is joining us to talk about the migration and domestication of dogs. Two, in this portion of the show, I talk about the royal dog that passed away. And I talk about the importance of cleaning a dog's ear. And in seg one, Claire, the Scottish deerhound, whose registered show name is... MBIS, that's multiple best in show specialty, GCH, grand champion, Foxcliff Claire, Randall Frazier beat out thousands of other dogs to earn the top prize at the National Dog Show. So joining us today to talk about this Thanksgiving holiday win is her handler, Angela Lloyd. Angela, welcome to the Pet Buzz today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here with you both. Well, Tell me, what was the first thing you thought of when you heard your dog's breed and name called as the winner of the National Dog Show? Well, the first thing I thought of uh, when she was named the winner was just pure amazement. Uh, I believe that she's the first Scottish Deerhound to win the National Dog Show. So that in itself is like super exciting. But also that um, such a, a prestigious win and you know, Thanksgiving Day is so exciting. And especially this year with so much uh, going on in the world and something to really look forward to and be happy about and be thankful for. You know, it's funny because I did an interview on Thanksgiving morning for the CBS Vegas station. 
And one of the things they said was, well, you know, what family friendly things can you do? And I said, you can watch the National Dog Show at 12 o'clock because it's an amazing show and it's family fun. And, you know, one of the things that Dr. Fleck and I do is everybody has a favorite breed, of course. So we all have pillows for all the all of our loved ones because they all have their favorite breeds. But nobody has a Scottish Deerhound. Not yet anyway. So, you know, Angela, what I find so interesting is that you are in the ring with some really solid competition. So what do you think Claire stood out among the rest of the dogs and who was her biggest competition in that ring? I really do believe she had some amazing competition in that in that show that day. Um, I think English Springer Spaniel was one of the dogs that could have given her a run for her money. Also. The wire fox terrier, if I had to go for a third pick, probably would have done the Portuguese water dog. All three are really beautiful examples of their breed. But I think Claire, um, she has such this aura about her of nobility and aristocracy, which is basically because she's a Scottish deer hunt, I think. And um, she's also very sound in her movement and she embodies everything she should be for the breed that she is. So that's why she was the winner that day. Absolutely. Very regal dog. And she's beautiful. And we have to, you know, give kudos to her. I think it's her grandmother. Was her grandmother the winner of Westminster and Angela showed that dog? That's actually where I met Angela on the media tour. Yeah, her grandmother was the winner there. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, it's such it's such, you know, it's funny because, you know, I always when I think of like a Scottish deerhound, I always think of Queen Victoria because that was one of her very famous breeds. And um, a Scottish Mm -hmm. deerhound, it's so. They're so majestic looking, you know, tell us a little bit about this breed. And is the breed a a family dog? Well, the history of the breed is goes back centuries. They were developed in the highlands of Scotland to reduce the red stag population. And there's actually some artwork that has been found and discovered from over a thousand years ago, depicting this type of hound that was chasing a stag. (laughs) <laughs> so what would what, what's Claire up to when she's not showing? Oh, Claire lives on a beautiful farm in, in rural Virginia. She chases squirrels and bunnies around. She goes on daily walks. She wades in the river and drinks from it. Um, she's just a farm dog, truly. Like the Westminster Dog Show, the National Dog Show is great. Charlotte and I really love to watch it. Look forward to it every year. So but I believe you started showing dogs as a youngster. So do you have any encouraging words for people who maybe want to show dogs? Yeah, that's true. I did start showing dogs when I was young. I was uh, born into a family who was involved in breeding and showing their dogs. And so I started showing when I was eight years old. I want to say though, that it's for anybody, any age. And it's something that's really fun to do one-on-one with your dog. You know, it's really funny because when I see Angela at a dog show, there's always that one cheer, Angela! And she knows it's me because <laughs> she knows <laughs> in Madison Square Garden. I see her like going like, oh my God. I do the same thing for Michelle. But, you know, one of the reasons I do that is because, you know, there's so many men who show dogs who have done really, really well. And the history of women and what, and obviously Westminster Kennel Club is an all male club. I mean, up until recently, the Philadelphia Kennel Club was an all male club. And I think they maybe have one or two female members. But I think it's really important to cheer those 
female professional handlers on and actually, you know, breeder own handlers as well, because I find that when I go to a dog show and I see the clicks of I see more clicks of men than I see clicks of chicks. You know what I mean? And I think it's just important to shout out to those people. And I do the same thing with Michelle. She probably thinks I'm insane, but that's OK, because I want people to know, hey, it's there's girl power out there and there's some great women showing dogs. So I always like to see a consummate and Angela is very serious, a consummate professional like Angela showing her dog. And, you know, just the moment, the bonding moments that you have with your dog while she's waiting to, to put on a good show for everybody. But Angela, we're going to let you go. I just have one core question for you. And that's what's next for you and Claire? What's going to happen? Am I going to see you at Westminster? Am I going to see you in Orlando? Wow. There is a, still an Orlando supposed to happen. We are entered and are planning to be there. So you will see us if you're there. And we look forward to that. Um, she's just starting in her campaign as a, as a being shown. So, you know, she's just getting her toes wet. So hopefully you'll see more of her in the future. Well, Angela Lloyd, handler for Claire, the Scottish deer hound, who won the National Dog Show on Thursday Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for being with us today and the best of luck to you and we can't wait to see you in the ring at westminster thank you so much for having me today you know everyone that was uh, a great interview with angela lloyd she is one like i said she's one of my favorite professional handlers well up next celebrity pet gossip and of course flex facts stay tuned you don't want to miss a moment of the best in pet talk radio Listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws, for the long, healthy life of your dog. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. 
we could not be happier. Thanks, EpiPet. To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com. Thank you so much for joining the Pet Buzz. This show is hosted by the Pet Dynamic Duo. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. going to start this segment with celebrity pet news. You know, I love keeping up with the celebrities and even the royals, but here on a sad note, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, that's Wills and Kate, everybody, shared some sad news on their Instagram feed. It seems their dog Lupo, an English Cocker Spaniel who was born in 2011, has died. Kate and Wills wrote on social media that very sadly, last weekend, our dear dog Lupo passed away. He had been the heart of our family for the past nine years, and we will miss him so much. Nine, that's so young. I know it. It really is. Well, according to Hello Magazine, Kate first got the dog when Prince William was serving as an RAF search and rescue pilot and on duty in the Falklands. They just got the Spaniel to help her with the time apart. Over the years, Lupo has become an important part of the Cambridge family, even appearing in a few official world portraits, including the first photo of Prince George's released to the public and the portrait shared with George's third birthday. You got to love those pictures of kids and dogs, right? Mm -hmm. In one of those sweet pictures, George was spotting feeding the pup some ice cream. Not necessarily so good for the dog, but... We all know dogs love ice cream. Rest in peace, Lupo. You were beloved by so many dog lovers throughout the world. And maybe when you get to Rainbow Bridge, you will meet Hudson, Thames, and my beloved Roan. And maybe check out Studley. Correct. And now what you all have been waiting for, Flex Facts with guess who? Dr. Fleck. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Or fiction. Just the facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! It's gonna take long. You got the time. So, Dr. Fleck, what are we gonna talk about today? We're gonna talk about air cleaning. Ooh. You know, that's really one of my specialties in practice these days, even to the extent that I developed an ear cleaner in my manufacturing product line. And it's great. So, ear cleaning is really very important. It's an important part of your dog's grooming as well as for medical care. Some dogs even need more frequent ear cleaning than other dogs, obviously. Dogs who are prone to ear infection often benefit more from more frequent cleaning than other dogs. Okay, so why is it so important to do it properly? Well, because the structure of the dog ear canal is really different. It's L-shaped, making it very difficult for material trapped deep within the horizontal canal to be expelled without the assistance of Ear cleaners. This material can lead to itchiness and ear infection if not removed properly, though. Okay, so the ear canal is L-shaped. A lot of nasty debris gets in there, and it's hard to clean. That's what you're telling me, right? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Wanted to make sure. So here's the question. So what do I need to clean my dog's ears? Really not much at all. You need the ear cleaner, and you need 
yourself with some cotton balls. Okay, that sounds good. So a good quality ear cleaning solution, some cotton balls, and the proper technique. And don't forget about the end of the of the cleaning. If you have a treat, it'll make it easier to clean in the future. Hey, that's a really good idea. Mm -hmm. It's like get your ear cleaned and then get a treat for sitting still and letting it be cleaned. But I do want to emphasize, don't use cotton tip applicators, Q-tips. Please okay. don't use those because you could perforate the eardrum in the outer ear canal, pushing it in too far. Or what's even more important is that you could irritate the lining of the outer ear canal, which then will cause more damage than it will improvement, making an ear issue even worse rather than better. Okay. And also I had heard, and maybe you could tell me if this is true, by using a Q-tip, sometimes you can push the gross debris further in the ear. Yeah. And then they can't even hear even worse than what they were. But listening. it's real. It sounds like it's really, it sounds like, it sounds like it's really important to clean a dog's ear. Okay. So do I need to use ear cleaner? Yes. It's recommended that you use ear cleaner, a good quality ear cleaner. Okay. One that can do two things. One that can clean and one that can dissolve the ear wax and the other debris. Okay. So you need a good emulant to do that. Also, some ear cleaners have good antibacterial and antifungal ingredients, which makes it helpful when you're cleaning the ear and making it more healthy. And that probably can, you know, prevent ear infection, right? Right. But you know what? What you need to do is you need to contact your veterinarian, have the guidance of your veterinarian and their staff teach you about how to properly clean the ear, the proper technique and also the proper ear cleaner to be using. Right. They could probably show you how to do that during your yearly exam, right? Yeah, but you know, I'm kind of prejudiced because I think the EpiPet ear cleaner is the best. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. Okay. So my next question is, do all dogs need to have their ears clean? Because that comes up all the time. Some people say my ear, dog's ears never have a problem. Me, on the other hand, I have spaniels. I've always had spaniels. So they always have floppy ears and they get nasty. No, simply, I think the simple answer is no, not all dogs need to be ear clean. And think about cats too. We need to talk about cats. Oh, sure. Cats very rarely need to have their ears clean. But what's important is to clean your dog's ears when it's needed. Mm-hmm. But also don't forget this, and I have to instruct all my clients about this all the time, is you don't overclean. That's a good guidance that you need from your veterinarian. Should you be cleaning once a week, twice a week? The guidance comes from your veterinarian as to that particular individual, how frequently that should be done. Okay, so that's really important. So don't schedule it for once a week. Talk to your vet. Maybe your dog only needs his, your dog. I sound so New York Yorkese right there, dog. So maybe your dog only needs his ear clean maybe once or twice a month. Yeah, and really, you shouldn't really be cleaning your dog's ears unless you do have the guidance from your veterinarian after, say, an annual exam. Okay, and don't even clean them if they're red or inflamed or they seem irritated, if right? If they're red or inflamed, you definitely need advice from your veterinarian as to the treatment protocol that should be included in recovery, which may or may not include the ear cleaner. Yeah, because so many people try to clean their ears with some recipe they found online with apple cider, alcohol, tea tree oil. Yeah. What do you think about that stuff? I, I think that those are all probably nice ingredients, but by themselves, they may be harmful to the right. ear. But if they're included in a, uh, a quality ear cleaner, then they're they're designed to help that ear. So right. Don't be mixing up and playing chemist in the kitchen. No, let 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 the let the veterinarian let the, the professionals. Experts okay. 
I think this is a really important topic because, you know, a lot of things that come up, especially now during the holidays, is stinky dogs. Exactly. And stinky dogs can be stinky from not washing your dog, but it can also be bad, you know, bad breath. Exactly. And it can also be stinky ear odor. So if you got bad odor, you think about the coat, you think about the ears and you think about the, the mouth. teeth. OK. Mm -hmm. Anything else, Dr. Fleck? That's all the Fleck Facts for this week. You know, that was really great information. So look out on our social media channels as I'm going to show you how to clean a dog's ear because I'm just me and I do it all the time because I have so many dogs. And if you're looking for the perfect ear cleaner, we encourage you to try EpiPet Ear Cleaner. That's epi-pet.com. It's offering that's epipet.com offers a 25% discount to our the pet buzz listening audience. Just pop in the code the pet buzz at checkout for a very generous discount. Of course, we want you to stick around because we're going to take a commercial break. I bet you can't wait for my I likey of the week. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Ever Pet knows there's a lot in your life that you worry about. We want to make sure your pet's flea and tick protection isn't one of them. Tever Pet offers vet quality flea and tick protection that has the same active ingredients as leading brands like Canine Advantix 2 and Frontline Plus, but that cost much less, which means you can give your pet total flea protection worry-free. And the best part is you can get Tever Pet flea and tick topicals delivered right to your door when you shop on TeverPet.com. Tever Pet, helping you and your pet live your best life. Welcome back. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. That's the way it has to be because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. I love it so much. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. Hey, I want to tell you about my I likey of the week. Well, you know, I'm excited to talk about this because, you know, last week, remember, Dr. Fleck, we talked with Cherry Hill programs about their wonderful campaign, Create Holiday Magic. And for Pet Buzz listeners, they have offered us a special code to take advantage of their offerings. So valid from 1121 to 1130. Get the Black Friday special of 30% off for all products, including pet pictures with Santa. Everybody, including me, goes gaga over pet pictures with Santa, right? Yeah, you do. I, I do. <laughs> I love it. So, and this is great. You don't even have to visit Santa because there's not a lot of Santas out there this year. You can upload a picture of your pet, whether he's naughty or nice or in an ugly sweater or dressed to impress, and then you will get a picture back with Santa. I love that. So easy. Takes really a few minutes. So check out their website at Create Holiday Magic and let 
the traditions begin. Okay, let's bring on our next guest. Genomics researchers recently sequenced the genomes of 27 dogs from archaeological sites scattered around Europe and Asia, ranging from 4,000 to 11,000 years old. Wow. Those genomes, along with those of modern dogs and wolves, show how dogs have moved around the world with people since their domestication. Wow, that's amazing. It is. So joining us today to talk about the migration and domestication of dogs is Gregor Larson, Director Paleogenomics and Bioarchaeology Research, Network School of Archaeology at Oxford University. Boy, that's a mouthful. Dr. Larson, thank you for joining us in the Pet Bus today. Thanks for inviting me. This is great. So your study involved archaeological sites scattered across Europe and Asia. So how large was your team of folks involved in the study? Oh, it's big. Uh, when you do uh, a study of this size, you need a lot of people to be collaborating with. And so there were the people, the archaeologists, of course, who were excavating the sites, sometimes over the past decades. There's the museum curators who have been curating material for a long period of time. And then a whole lot of PhD students, master's students, postdocs, uh, people with permanent jobs in academia, all of whom brought a lot of expertise to the project in order to try and generate the data and then analyze it. So uh, dozens, possibly hundreds of people involved with this. Wow, what a study. I can Incredible. It really. Okay, so talk to us about the study. Tell us about it, how it was conducted. Yeah, so the, the basic idea was to, as part of a long-running project that we've got looking at domestication using ancient DNA. And what that means is that there are a whole lot of animals that are in the ground everywhere from archaeological sites. And those animals traditionally have been the purview of people who've looked at the bones themselves by measuring them or trying to uh, understand the evolution of those bones and their association with people. And we've now got this new technique that's been kicking around now for a couple of decades, which is called ancient DNA, which means that we can go to those bones and we can extract the DNA from those bones. And now we are able to generate entire genomes from those. And so we get a real nice snapshot of what the genomes of those dogs look like going all the way back to 11,000 years. Wow. So I guess in anticipation of going to all these sites and looking at all this ancient DNA. So really, what was the role of dogs in terms of, I guess, scattered across Europe and their migration and their domestication? Dogs are very clearly our oldest domestic animal. They are our best friends going way back well before any other animal. And we want to know how and why and where and when and how many times that relationship got started so that we can try and really get to the, the deep roots of the origins of all the dogs that are on everybody's sofas listening to this show right now. Talk a little about the migration patterns of the study, because I hmm. think people are interested. I mean, there's been a lot of news about this, about this particular study, and I guess... I, we're all dogs descended from wolves, and, and then there were my great talk a little bit about that because I think that's the sure. meat and bones of the study. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And one of the questions that we certainly have an answer to is that dogs were very clearly descended from a population of gray wolves, which was closely related to the wolves that we now know of that exist in North America and Eurasia today. But the specific population that gave rise to dogs is now extinct, which makes it very hard for us to try and identify the where and the when the dog domestication took place. What we are able to say is that once that domestication was underway, dogs and people become and meshed to a degree unlike any other domestic animal, so that when people move, they take their dogs with them. And we can see the signatures of that by analyzing the genomes of both the dogs and the people simultaneously. So that when we see patterns of people moving and we look at their dogs, the dogs are showing exactly the same pattern. 
will we eventually learn how dogs fit into ancient cultures and, and the economies? Well, absolutely. And that's what's been really fun for us is that we are now at a point where we are starting to look at the, not just the patterns of the migration and the sort of population histories and how everybody's related to each other. But we now, because we have access to whole genomes, we're starting to be able to understand what these dogs look like and what kinds of jobs that they did and what the specific genetic signatures are that will tell us what the dogs, uh, how they fit into the human societies with which they were associated. And by doing so, we can start to put some flesh on the bones, as it were. And we can start to say, look, this is what sled dogs look like 11,000 years ago in northern Siberia. This is what dogs who were used for hunting practices in Iran, maybe a couple thousand years after that. This is what dogs in Europe look like, both from Sweden to Italy to Portugal, all the way to Eastern Europe, and how they fit specifically into the cultures and what those cultures were doing on that landscape. So what about the roles of dogs? What, what did they do? What was their jobs? That's a great question. I, you know, we, we do have some very specific hard evidence for dogs about 10,000 years ago in northern Siberia where the preservation is so good. We don't just have the dogs. We've got the remains of sled runners, of muzzles, of leather bits of pieces that were used. Uh, because, and these dogs are very clearly used in sledding purposes. And other places, we know that dogs had a very close relationship with people because of the way in which they were buried. So you have human burials and right next door you have a dog burial. And in those two different graves, you'll have a lot of the same kinds of what are called grave goods, which means these dogs performed such an important role for those human societies that they were afforded all of the same kinds of things in the afterlife as the, as the people were. So this, this, this speaks to this idea that there really wasn't a difference between dogs and people in a lot of these societies. And the, the suspicion is that those specific dogs were used for hunting practices, which you can imagine is a pretty important thing if you're on a landscape and you are using dogs for hunting. And we know that, uh, and there's a whole different kinds of hunting. We know that dogs are also very good sentries. And so there's a good chance that if you form that relationship with that dog, they're going to tell you when something is nearby, that's probably not very good for you. So I think that uh, dogs integrated themselves very readily in a whole myriad of different ways in lots of human societies. And the trick now for us is to tr try and figure out what all those details were and how they all fit together over the last 11,000 years. You know, it's funny because I think the study there was a, I guess there was a dog uncovered maybe a year and a half ago. If you remember this, the dog was wrapped and he was buried with a leash and a mm -hmm. collar. And it was kind of almost, you know, just very like it seemed like a very religious burial. And it seemed like he was a pet. He wasn't performing a job necessarily. And we are looking at that as well. And we know that there's a real rise of small dogs that look as though they're filling that role of kind of human companion that the Romans had. Uh, we also have been investigating some dogs from Peru about a thousand years ago, well before the Europeans showed up on the American continents that are mummified. And they are wrapped in such a way that you would find human mummies in that same sort of place, which means their preservation has been quite good. So we can now get a genome from one of those and combine that with all of the rest of what we know from that archeological site and really start to understand what role dogs were playing and how important they were in the Americas before the Europeans showed up. And I can assure you as a practitioner, there were days where I have to move the pet from this world to the next world and the comments that are made by the pet owner, how mm. they're going to join them later. It's all accepted that way. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that there's been a real change in that over just the, the last the century or so. And of course, it's different everywhere in the world. And some people and uh, some cultures, the dogs don't fit in quite the same way and they don't have those things. But that's what I really like is this, this dynamism allows us to think that not everything is static and that the further we go back in time, the more we can see that change. And when we can empirically witness how those things have changed through space and time, it gives us a real deeper appreciation for our own history with our dogs. Magnificent. Dr. Larson, thank you so much for joining us today. What great, great information. I mean, 
pet owners are really going to gain a great deal from this. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. And and thank you for the invitation. Such great, interesting research. I I definitely want to learn more. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you definitely have to come back. There's lots more to come. So if you want to learn more, you definitely want to download the original paper from Science. Check it out. But up next, Global Pet News and Cold Winter Pet Tips. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? I love animals and want my pets to be healthy, so I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple, and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet on his dog Sophie, who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com. As we love to say, I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love saying this. We're urban. We are urban, suburban, suburban, and and country. country. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Well, buzz this global pet news. There's a new kind of pet food on the market, and it's made with bugs. Brina, owned by Nestle, announced that it will be selling a new line of dog and cat food made with, check this out, Dr. Fleck, alternative proteins. I wonder if that's like alternative facts. Okay, well, including insects, fava beans, and millet, that's the cereal grain. The new line, it's called Purina Beyond Nature's Protein, was launched to make better use of the planet's resources. That's what the announcement said. Beyond Nature's Protein includes two recipes available for both dogs and cats made by veterinarians and nutritionists. One recipe uses chicken, pig's liver, and millet, while the other uses insect protein, chicken, and fava beans. Well, according to the announcement, the insect protein comes from Black soldier fly larva. Ooh, gross me out. Okay. According to Bernard Murnier, Nestle Prina Peckers, European, Middle Eastern, and North American CEO, every ingredient in the food serves a purpose. With our new Beyond Nature's Protein dry pet food, we are offering a complete nutritious alternative to the conventional dog and cat products while taking care of the planet's precious resources by diversifying protein sources. He went on to say, we're continuously looking at ways in which we can source sustainability for the long-term while delivering the high quality nutrition that pets need today, as well as tomorrow. Well, if you want to try it, you're going to have to wait because Beyond Nature's Protein will be on sale starting this month. At first, it will only be available in Switzerland. Take a trip. (laughs) 
I doubt it. Well, the company gets feedback from consumers. I mean, I can't, I got to look up a black soldier larva or black fly soldier larva, whatever it is. What do you think? I think it's is that uh, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I just think it's interesting. Yuck. So baby, it's cold outside. We just want to remind you of these cold weather tips to keep your pet safe. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Fleck. Give me a tip. Well, you know, it's always a good idea to know your dog's limits. We should always know that. Some dogs are more susceptible to the cold than others. Short-coated, thin, elderly, or very young dogs get cold more quickly. Mm -hmm. So adjust the amount of time they stay outside. If your dog enjoys being outdoors or you will be outside longer than a few minutes, consider outfitting it with a sweater or a coat to keep him or her warm. Hypothermia and frostbite pose major risk to dogs in the wintertime. So remember, if it is too cold for you, it's probably too cold for them. Yeah, I'm sure you had to deal a lot with that up in Michigan when you lived up there, right? Yeah, you know, they come in with those the, the paws appearing very swollen and, and ice on them. It's, it's awful for it's horrible. Them. Yeah. Well, let's talk about cats. And for you, cat lovers and others, it's always a good idea to check the hood. Cats often sleep in the wheel wells of cars during the winter months to keep warm or they climb up into the engine. So if you start your car and a cat is sleeping on your tire or in inside, it can be really severely hurt or even killed by the moving engine parts. So prevent injuries by banging on your hood or honking the horn before starting your car, give the cat a few seconds or a few minutes to get out. And this is definitely going to wake up the cat and give it a chance to escape before backing out or driving out of your driveway. So what else can you remind our listening audience of Dr. Fleck? And this, as the weather gets real chilly, yeah, especially in the Northern part of the United States, remember to wipe their paws during the winter walks, your dog's paws can pick up all kinds of toxic chemicals, salt, antifreeze, de-icers. So be sure to wipe off all your dog's paws when you return from the walks to prevent them from licking it off and becoming sick. That's toxic stuff. Mm -hmm. Purchase pet safe de-icer for your home for an extra level of safety. And when wiping off your dog's paws, please remember to check for signs of injury, such as Crack paws or bleeding paws. That's a great tip. And you know, you want to keep your dogs leashed. More pets become lost in the winter than any other season because snowfall can disguise recognizable scents that would normally help them find their way home. So prevent your pets from becoming lost by keeping dogs leashed on walks. And just in case you're separated from your pet, make sure their collars have up-to-date contact information with most importantly, a current cell phone number and a microchip. You know, it turns out more dogs never get returned or go home because of outdated tags and microchip database information, which is so sad. And don't forget to avoid the ice. When walking your dog, be sure to avoid frozen lakes and ponds. Your dog could be seriously hurt maybe even killed. And I'm going to add the you, ice breaks. Right. But I'm going to even add you can be endangering the life of a first responder because that's who's going to come out and help you save your dog. That's true. OK. Another suggestion is to leave your pets at home just as hot cars are dangerous for pets in the summer months. Cold cars pose a threat as well. Only take your pet in a car if it's necessary and never leave them unattended, especially if you're like 
in a really cold place like where you used to live. And, and here's one that's still affecting me and the dogs. Due to daylight savings time. God, I hate that. Many of us are relegated to walking our dogs in the dark. Keep yourself and your dog safe by wearing some reflective gear, you know, clothing, leashes that, that are reflective, collars, and keeping your dog close when walking on the street. A short leash, not a long leash. You know, here's the last one. I mean, here's one of our last ones. You know, you always want to have your dog have a shelter. Ideally, all pets should live inside. You know, I really don't like, I really don't even like to talk about this one. So if your pet lives outdoors primarily, bring them indoors during sub-zero temperatures. For the rest of the winter, provide them with a dry, draft-free shelter that is large enough for them to sit up and lay down comfortably, but small enough to conserve body heat. The floor should be raised a few inches off the ground and covered with cedar shavings or straw. And you also want to turn the shelter so it faces away from the wind and cover the door with waterproof burlap or heavy plastic. Also, for pets who spend a lot of time outside, they need more food to replace the energy loss from trying to stay warm and use plastic food and water dishes instead of metal because when the temperature is low enough, your pet's tongue can become stuck to the metal. I really don't like that one because I really don't think people should be leaving their dogs outside. I don't think they should be leaving their dogs chained up, but we have to mention it. Well, when I first went into practice, maybe 50% of the pets were outside. Mm -hmm. Now I would say less than four or 5%. Okay. But during these cold times, it should be 0% outside. Yeah. And you know, the other thing, just like people forget about their their babies in cars, they can forget about their dogs Absolutely. outside. Okay. And of course, avoid spills. Antifreeze. Remember antifreeze. It attracts cats and dogs because it's very sweet to taste, but it is extremely poisonous and can cause serious illness or death when it's ingested. Be sure to clean up any antifreeze that spills in your garage and keep the bottle somewhere your pets cannot have access to. Lock cabinets are the way to go. And lastly, be prepared. Winter brings extreme weather that can cause power outages. Have an emergency plan and make sure they include your pet. Have an emergency kit with enough food, water, and medication to last at least five days for your pet. Most likely you'll never need it, but if you do, you'll be thankful that you have planned ahead. And that's what it's all about, you know, planning ahead want to just keep our pets as safe as we can safe and healthy you know that's true <laughs> okay everybody that's a wrap guess what dr black oh no what it's time it's time to wrap the show already it's always it just goes by so fast really but before we go we want to give you a preview for next week's show so next week we're going to talk about pet themed holiday decorations i think that's fine we're going to have our friends from bronner's up in michigan visiting us Great we're going to talk people. about some pet gift ideas for christmas and hanukkah holiday dangerous plants i've been to walmart i've been to lowe's i've been to home depot there's tons of poinsettias christmas lilies all of those things which can be harmful to pets. Listen to the new horticulturist. Mm -hmm. I know. Well, anyway, give us a special thanks for our guest, Dr. Flack. Well, special thanks to our guest, Angela Lloyd and Dr. Gregor Larson. Great. And of course, we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. If you have a question, write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. 
And if you've missed any portion of the show, visit our social media channels as well as your favorite streaming channels and listen to the Link Podcast on Monday morning. But most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pet. Peace out and pet love. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests.